listening to the Unfree Parents Podcast, episode 031. You're seen to chat about parenting, life, and of course, Unfree McGee. I'm your host, Sarah Jahimiak, successful event planner, first solo female podcast host in the jam music scene, mom of three, wife, and total Unfree. Are you prepared for what comes next? Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. The show is on a four-week break so that I can celebrate Christmas with my family, and then my husband and I are off to Atlanta for the New Year's Eve run. Super, super excited for that. Five days away, just the two of us, not having to worry about the kids, and just totally enjoying the city and all of the amazing music that is going to happen that weekend. The show will be back January 15th with my review of the New Year's Eve run. Before we jump into this week's re-airing of episode 14, I do want to remind you about the blog on the website. If you're interested in submitting something, how you can reach out to the show is in the show notes and can also be found on the website. Also, if you like the show, please leave a review because it helps other like-minded parents find it. And please subscribe so you never miss an episode when they drop. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 14 of the Unfreak Parents podcast. I'm so grateful that you are here spending your valuable time listening to me talk about Umphreys. Um, So in this episode, we will cover any new Umphreys McGee news, uh, chat about the shows from August 30th through September 1st, as well as my absolutely awesome interview with Julie Sinegar, Jake's mom. I am so excited for you guys to hear this chat that I had with her She is seriously just one of the nicest and kindest and awesomest lady. I don't even know if that's really a word, but she's just so cool. And I'm so grateful that she took time out of her super busy schedule to talk to me and talk about her son and open up a little bit about her life. So I really, really hope that you stick around for that because it's so awesome. Okay. So before we really dive into these past three shows that the band played, I did want to mention that all three of the shows were opened with Jen Hartswick and Nth Power. Um, And although Jen was there for all three days, she did not make an appearance with Umphreys until Saturday night. Um, But we will get to that for sure. Um, And on Thursday, August 30th, the band played at the Joy Theater in New Orleans, Louisiana. They have played at this venue only one other time, April 14th, 2016. The last time they played in NOLA was actually April 21st, 2017 at the Orpheum Theater. And a little random Umfreak parent fact, Bayless's daughter is actually named NOLA. Very cute. And I think that unique name is just very awesome. Um, this show opens with Goonsville, and then as it switches into Educated Guests, I had a feeling that the show was going to be a Stasic set list. I did read some things later on um, that stated, in fact, that it was, so I don't know if that is true or not, um, but if it is, I will say I'm pretty proud of myself that I'm starting to figure um, out the whole set list thing. Although I'm sure once I figure it out, it'll be all switched up again. So then I'll be completely wrong. (laughs) Um, It Doesn't Matter, which has this really killer jam. Seriously, this song has become so mature and amazing. And it's only its first year of life. Just love it. Um, And if you don't know, that song has only been considered a song 
according to all things Humphrey since January, the Pittsburgh show. So not very long that that one has been around. Crucial Taunt. Ringo, which gets super metal as fuck during the jam in this one, and then completely just cuts off and goes into a different kind of jam entirely. Just fucking nasty. And then goes back into Ringo, which, funny story, my daughter asked what they were singing while we were watching the webcast of this, which, if you are not doing that when they have them on tour gigs, you definitely should because it's awesome. Um, anyway, so my daughter asks what they're singing, and my youngest, who is three, correctly sings the lyrics to her. I will have to admit that was kind of a proud parent moment and definitely made me laugh. thought that was pretty awesome. Um, this Ringo keeps going with the jam, and Joel takes the lead at one point, and just I really, really love it. And then moving into this really melty sort of Bayless solo, and then after introducing the band, they slip into this beautiful Xmas at wartime and into In the Black, which I will admit that I was doubting myself at one point that this was a stage six set list. But after they played those two songs, my doubt was definitely gone. Um, I do feel that the placement of this Xmas at wartime is better than the last time it was played in Miami. Um, I did talk about that in last week's episode, number 12, um, and I will link that in the show notes if you have not given that a listen. Um, Bright Lights Big City Jam, just fucking absolutely amazing, and this is actually a finish of the Bright Lights Big City um, from when the band played at this venue back in 2016. According to what I read from the jambase.com article and heard from others in the community, that back when the band played in New Orleans in 2016, the show was cut early because someone pulled the fire alarm and this resulted in the power being cut. So the ending of this was not finished. And it was certainly worth the wait, though. It's just such a fucking sick jam. And I really love how the last two times they played this song, they've just jammed it out. And... Um, if you did not listen to the version from Bayless's birthday show um, in Indianapolis, highly suggest that you do that. Just absolutely insane. And I chat about that in episode 11, I believe. Yes, episode 11. Um, I will link that in the show notes as well, so you can check that out. Um, the musical adventure that this jam goes on is just amazing, and I love how different it is compared to the one in episode 11 from Indianapolis that I talked about. It just starts out just seriously rocking and then going into this romantic sort of jam, and Jake just sounds so beautiful just throughout this entire thing, honestly, and I just don't know, like how else to really describe it. It's just so fucking amazing. And just no doubt that I put this on my Hall of Fame list. And I'm sure others have done the same. I would be surprised if I did not see this, um, you know, on the final Hall of Fame. Just absolutely, just absolutely amazing. And then as if that jam didn't completely just blow everybody's mind, they move right into Phil's. And I've said it once and I will say it again. 2018 is most certainly the year of Phil's. Seriously, every single time they've played this, I think this is my favorite one, but then they play it again, and the next one is just as fucking nasty. 
or better. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say that. Um, I love how this one gets down and dirty a little bit and then gets kind of weird in spots with Joel and his Moog and starting to get back into fills. I just love how aggressive that is. And going back into the song end, Bayless's solo at the fucking end, just love this whole thing. And it's just an absolutely nasty, sick way to end this first set. And it's seriously going to be very, very hard to pick the best Phil's Farm from this year because they're just, I think they're just all fucking amazing. A really solid and amazing dejunct to open the second set. This 15-minute musical adventure is fucking just just goes through all of these different jams before coming into the actual lyrics of the song, then going back onto its merry way into another sick jam to then really slow down and transition right into this lovely Dear Prudence, just so slowly and kind of quietly moving into it. Just love it. That's my favorite Beatles tune, and I love, love, love when they play this. Um, However, I've never caught this live, and I'm sure maybe I've shared this or not. It's actually the name of my dog, Um, and I did post a little picture of her on Twitter. Um, And if you are not following the show, you definitely should do that. All sorts of awesome stuff goes on over there, and I will... Everything is actually in the show notes of where you can follow the show on all of the social media outlets. Um, The band has played Dear Prudence a total of 24 times, and Brendan and Jake have played it once. Most recently played um, as a full band in February in Washington, D.C. with Larry Keel. And I remember watching that on the live stream from tour gigs, and it was really, really good. Um, after that, a really delicious 17-minute remind me with just this absolutely just awesome jam after the lyrics. And then just segueing the jam into Jake shredding and the whole band going into sex metal. Just so, so awesome. Taking a totally different direction after that song going into Whistle Kids. Then cut off with this rock stew that includes these teases inside of the jam and starts with a stairway to heaven and then goes back into the jam, then into don't fear the reaper, then back into the jam, then into Rhiannon, which I know I just talked about how much I love that tune and maybe them teasing it more than once this often means that maybe we're going to get a full band cover of that soon. That would be awesome. Um, then they take this right into Prowler. Love Joel in this tune and Bayless just shredding. So good. Pay the snucka with another seriously sick jam. Stacey getting really funky at one point. Just love, love this whole jam. And then the ending of the song, Jake just goes on this insane, serious shred fest and bringing the whole band back in to rock the fuck out of the end of this second set with Joel fucking killing at the end of the jam too. Just so sick. Encore with Eminence Front by The Who. Totally love this too. This whole show just absolutely killed it. 
I will be sure to put a link to where you can check out the set list and where you can listen to the show in the show notes um, so that you can check all of it out yourself. On August 31st, the band played in Austin, Texas at the ACL Live at Moody Theater, which is also the same venue as where the Austin City Limits television show is taped. That show is actually the longest-running music series in television history. Um, This theater, however, only opened in 2011. This is the only time that the band has played at this venue, but they have played in Austin a total of 21 times, last time being April 20th, 2017. This show opens with You Got the Wrong Guy, then goes into an unfinished for now, all in time, with such a seriously powerful and insane fucking jam. Seasons, just love how this one continues to grow and mature. Night Nurse, a straight up dance party here. This song seriously never disappoints. And they keep this one seriously so hot every time they've played it in 2018. It's so hard to decide and choose my favorite one. This one is up there but also the one from the VIP Red Barn set at summer camp this past year is pretty fucking fire as well. Um, going into preamble, which I have mentioned to my my husband, that it would be super awesome if we could find a music box that when you opened it, it played preamble. Kind of a hint that that would be like the most badass gift ever. Um, then going into a standalone Mantis, just absolutely beautiful. Professor Wormbog, which if you didn't know, there are actually two books about Professor Wormbog by the author Mercer Mayer, released in 1977. Mayer also wrote the Little Critter books. Um, We were able to snag a copy of one of the books on eBay and we'll definitely be adding the other one to our collection as well. Um, If you are interested in finding out more about these really interesting books from the 1970s. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes so that you can check them out. Um, I just love how funky this version of Wormbog is. Two by two gets weird and spacey at the end and trailing off a little bit with Joel tickling the ivory and taking the jam way down before bringing it back to another sort of weird place, almost like a dream sequence sort of sounding, and then taking it back into the end of the song. The jam with the romantic Bayless solo at the end, just lovely. And they turn things a little heavy, well, a lot heavy, <laughs> with a dark brush to close out the first set. Attachments to open the second set, another one that they are just really growing and totally expanding in 2018. This song has really become such an amazing tune and such a powerhouse. And the jam at the end of this one starts out really funky and then gets really kind of weird. I'm personally just seriously loving the extended jams on the back end of this tune lately. Stew, extended jam, whatever the fuck you want to label it. I know people get all butthurt and crusty about how people classify it. Um, I don't care. I freaking love it. I think it's amazing what they're doing to that song. So please keep doing that. (laughs) Um, Maybe someday after that, a really killer wappy sprayberry featuring this intense jam that continues to grow and grow. And then they bring it down a little bit. And then you can hear wappy coming back in just really heavy before going back into the lyrics. 
and then sliding into an almost 21-minute Utopian Fur with Three Little Birds from Bob Marley in there, then getting super medley. This song, just love the amazing musical adventure that it goes in and out of all sorts of different genres of music before even going into the actual lyrics of the song. This jam is so beautiful, and then gears up to go into the actual tune. I just love how no two utopians are the same. Uh, Cheap Sunglasses by ZZ Top covered a total of 26 times, last played earlier this year in Pittsburgh, PA. Jake singing this song is just perfect, I think. Um, And then the back end of the All in Time that started the show to end out the second set This song is another amazing way to end a show or a set. The energy at the end of this song and the emotion and the romantic guitar sound when Brendan and Jake are just playing off of each other. The way Waffle does the lights. And I know that there's definitely listeners that know exactly what I'm talking about here. Just the entire thing is such a beautiful way to end a show. Um, Encore with Haji, which always gives everybody all the good feel good vibes and roundabout tease from Jake again. Like seriously, dude, you're fucking killing me with this. Like I just want them to play that song so badly, but wait and play it when I'm there, please. (laughs) Um, and then they slide right into just absolutely gorgeous glory, beautiful, beautiful way to end this show. Um, I will be sure to put the link to the set list and where you can listen to the show in the show notes so that you can check it all out. On September 1st, the band played at the House of Blues in Dallas, Texas. They have played at this venue 10 times total, last time being April 22nd, 2017. They have played in Dallas, Texas a total of 19 times. First time was St. Patrick's Day in 2012. A show that looks really great on paper. It's one set and features the Jane Addiction song, Jane Says. Um, I did try to look for the show to give it a listen, but I couldn't find it. Uh, so if anyone has it or knows where I can find it, please let me know. Uh, all the information of where you can contact me and the show is in the show notes. Um, and I will put a link to the set list for this show from 2012 in the show notes as well so that you can give that a closer listen or a closer look. Uh, This show opens with another jammed out version of Looks. So, so glad that they started jamming that song out for sure. Um, Higgins going out to the amazing front of house engineer, Chris Mitchell. Triple wide, super funky as hell in the jam, and then goes into this other completely amazing and different killer jam Seriously, so fucking sick and features a blue oyster cult tease at the end. Then going into this amazing out of this world musical journey that is Stinko's Ascension. This song, which is one of my favorite to catch live, is a true testament to the different types of music that Umphreys plays. Starts out rock heavy and then slows way down and takes the jam another way and then starts to build that back up. Then going into the song, and I just love the lyrics for this one. Um, And if you have not checked out episode three, where I chat about my favorite version of Stinko's from the June 5th, 2008 show at the intersection in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, I will actually put a link to that episode in the show notes because I also play the first set from that show 
and you really, really need to hear that Stinkos. It is so, so good. Um, Triangle Tear, then Still of the Night by White Snake with Jen Hartswick on vocals. Just absolutely fucking crushing it. I love whenever she sings with Umphreys. Her voice is just so amazing. She just always gives me goosebumps when she's singing. And then Jake's guitar and the way she vocalizes with Brendan. It's just so fucking beautiful and amazing every time she's out there with them. And Bayless was definitely not joking when he said she was coming out to blow everybody's mind because that's exactly what happened. Uh, He also mentions at the end that Jake had been waiting forever to cover that tune. And you could tell after from Jake's reaction that it was everything that he hoped that it would be. So that's so, so awesome um, when stuff like that happens, that there's something that they really, really want to cover. And it turns out fucking amazing. And they're just excited and into it as the crowd is. And that's so awesome. Um, Jen sticks around for one more song and they welcome out James Casey on saxophone to cover the Peter Gabriel song Sledgehammer to close out the first set. Love that song. Love Peter Gabriel anyways. And that's such a great cover when they do it. Uh, Second set starts with an unfinished nothing too fancy. Wife Soup. Just love, 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 love these lyrics. The eerie Bayless solo toward the end of the jam before they go right back into the lyrics. And just the big and fullness to the song. It's just amazing. Resolution with the Norwegian Wood by the Beatles tease. Love when they do that and it gets all dancey. This whole jam is so sick and Joel is seriously killing it. So, so good. Speak up. Andy and Chris are straight killing it again during this jam. The two of them, I swear, are just just on fire lately. I mean, always, but especially lately. Then they go into a little Super Mario Brothers theme tease too. Fucking love that. That was awesome. Then going into In the Kitchen, which gets so dramatic, like a fucking movie about a dragon or something. And it really builds up at one point to explode back into this killer fucking jam, continuing on the dark and dank path with this jam and then going back into the song. This in the kitchen and this nothing too fancy that follows the finish of the nothing too fancy. 100% on my Hall of Fame list. This in the kitchen is so good. And they take that and segue it into the back end of the nothing too fancy that started out the second set. Jammed out silent type to close out the entire second set. Love the way that they're jamming that tune out too. Encore, much obliged. Joel is absolutely killing it here too. Just a really good rocking jam to close out this final show of summer 2018 tour. This whole show is so awesome and just amazing that this is their last show of the tour. Just showing that... They are killing it as much as they were the first show of the summer tour. Um, And I think back about it because um, the podcast started May 1st. So I've covered all of the shows for summer tour this year. And I just feel like they just kept getting better and better and better as, you know, the shows and the summer went on. Um, I am so, so excited um, for the Madison and the Chicago shows in the beginning of October, October 5th and 6th, Uh, and the full band will actually be back on the road 
October 4th in Kansas City, Missouri. There are some non-full band dates uh, in this month of September coming up. So definitely make sure that you check out umfreeze.com for all of the information about where you can see everybody. And you can find that in the show notes. And I will put a link to this show set list and where you can give it a listen in the show notes as well. Before we dive into my amazing chat with Julie Sinegar, I just wanted to, again, extend my deepest, deepest gratitude to her for taking time out of her very full schedule to chat with me about her life and her son. So without further ado, here's my chat with Julie Sinegar, Jake's mom. Okay, uh, this is Julie Sinegar. And um, so nice to speak with you today, Sarah. Um, I was born and raised in Niles, Michigan, and um, grew up here in this small little town um, with uh, six siblings. So there was nine people in our little house growing up, and we all still love each other. (laughs) Um, So then uh, I married my husband, Craig. Uh, He was born and raised in Niles, too, so kind of hometown sweethearts, let's say. And um, uh, soon after we were married, um, we had a child, and Jake was born. (laughs) That's very awesome. And how long um, have you and Craig been married? It's been 43 years. Wow, that's very impressive. Congratulations. (laughs) That's what I said to my husband um, after we met you guys. I'm like, I think they've been married a really long time. I'm like, that's really cool. <laughs> like, I think it's always very awesome when you see people that have been married so long because that is an accomplishment, I think. I I actually so agree with you because even some of our friends, as uh, they had got married early, shortly after high school, and not very many of them are still together, uh, we definitely still do have some dear friends, Mike and Karen, and um, we kind of all grew up together and they're still together as well. That's very cool. That's very awesome. My grandparents, um, before they passed, were married like 70 years or some crazy amount. Like it's just, it's insane. It's a lifetime. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so awesome though, to have, you know, somebody like that to be by your side during all that journey of life. I think that's just so beautiful. Right, right. And I have definitely always referred to it as we all grew up together because after Jake was born, Craig and I were still so young and we all just grew up together. (laughs) And so I think we're a very strong family unit that way. That's very cool. So how old were you and Craig when Jake was born? I was 20. Um, Craig was probably 21. Um, so it was, it's like everything was meant to be, um, and I, I wouldn't have changed anything. It, it was a struggle. We were talking early seventies or middle seventies, um, and just totally different growing up back then than the children today. Mm-hmm. Um, just a whole different world. And so growing up where we've been in the same house, I think when we moved here, Jake was one. So we have been on the same property, um, making changes along the way, um, and so different. It was a, a dead-end dirt road, and um, still a dirt road, but it's paved now, <laughs> and uh, just the whole world around us um, has changed so much since then. That's very cool. 
Um, so I want to talk about music. Um, when you and Craig were younger, um, before you had Jake, and then when he was growing up, um, what kind of music did you listen to? Well, growing up for me, um, I never played an instrument, um, although I was in a very musical family, music playing in the house constantly. You know, Saturday mornings, it was a ritual um, to clean houses. All the girls got together, all five of us, uh, to do our chores. My mom would just have music cranked in the house, and it was usually, oh, Frank Sinatra or Barbra Streisand and um, uh, maybe uh, movie scores uh, from popular movies at that time. So always had music playing. And myself, I mostly sang in the choir, um, like all my life, church choir, school choir, but never played an instrument. Um, Craig always had a passion for music and always started out with a guitar. Uh, when we first got married, he kind of tried to teach me a little bit of acoustic guitar. And that didn't work so well. But <laughs> So that's the first thing that Jake ever really heard as a, a live instrument um, because when he was a baby and near one, he would sit real close and sit on Craig's lap and just watch him strumming the guitar and listening and um, just tuning his ear to that. So that's really the very first instrument that he was ever around. That's very cool. That's very cool. And did Craig ever um, play in a band or did he just play, you know, just as a hobby? Just as a hobby, a couple friends, and it was mostly acoustic guitar around the campfire and singing that way, um, but never performing in front of anyone. I don't know if Craig would be all for that, but um, uh, but he definitely loved it as a hobby. Soon after, when Jake started picking up a guitar and then Craig doing more construction-type work um, in his hands, maybe weren't as a nibble, he, uh, he stopped playing and just started watching Jake. <laughs> That's very cool. Um, and, and when we were um, hanging out at Boondock, which, again, I just want to thank you and Craig and Jim and just for that opportunity for my husband and I to come there and and just experience, you know, that whole thing. I'm just beyond grateful that you opened your personal space to us for, you know, an hour. It was it was so awesome and still kind of quite unbelievable for me, honestly. Oh. Oh, I'm so glad. It is definitely, and I've heard it from many, and I don't want to um, make it sound like I'm I'm not uh, as inspired as some. When they walk onto this property and they go into the studio and they just feel the space here, it is pretty special. There's a spirit here mm -hmm. um, uh, that I think has always been here, so I, I think you might have felt that. <laughs> I think so. I think so. It's just, it's, you know, when I talk to my friends, you know, after and I'm like, there is, there's this energy. And it's funny, I talked to Jake um, later that day because we got, we went right to summer camp after we saw you and they played um, a small like VIP set. So I went and I talked to him after that and I'm like, oh, I met your mom today. And and uh, we were talking about the energy of, of being in there. So it was very cool that that was like the first thing that he had brought up too. It was very neat. Good. Um, so can you tell us more about um, Boondock, like why you guys decided to build it and, you know, the history of how it became what it is now? Oh, I can answer that so quickly, Sarah. <laughs> um, Jake was probably, um, I'm going to say grade school, maybe coming up sixth or seventh grade. And by then he loved to try 
any kind of instrument. So his little bedroom, we have this small two-little-bedroom house, although, yay, he has these huge additions going on right now. <laughs> but back then, his bedroom was so small, and he started out with uh, bunk beds, of course, so his friends could stay all night, and, of course, got the stereo in there. But then he had a keyboard, a couple amps, a few guitars, a small drum kit, and what else? <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> so after every day coming home from school and I'm making dinner and he's in his bedroom, um, he would just be rocking out um, to kind of vent some energy and playing the drums. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, we've got to get him out of here. <laughs> so in the back of the house was a horse barn that was a horse barn before we lived here. Uh, we just used it for storage and, and raising puppies and um, uh but dirt floor horse barn that we turned into the studio. Um, just one big open space we needed. Um, we insulated really well because Jake played drums, and when you have neighbors, you have to be a little cautious <laughs> about the sound level. Um, so we really insulated well and had this, you know, Craig did all the electric and the drywall and, and made it a beautiful space. So Jake started moving out there slowly, even to the extent he thought that it could become his apartment. <laughs> and I wasn't going for that when he was still in junior high. So, um, but that—that's when the space started. Um, sure, I would say maybe a few years, couple years into that, he—we let him um, uh, be uh, interviewed and um, um, kind of decided if he wanted to join this little rock band in the area, and we let him. Um, and he had a bunch of new brothers then. So he practiced and practiced with them, and we let them come here to Boondock Studios to have their practice space. This day couldn't drive yet. He was like 13. Um, so it became a, a practice space then. That's very cool. So you mentioned him playing in this band at 13. So obviously the guys in the band are older than him. As a mom, because I have, he's almost 15, my oldest. Um, I was 19 when I had him. I was young, too. Um, as a mom, having a child that age, like, how do you, you know, deal with him playing in bars and things like that? And how did you, you know, keep him grounded and keep him from, you know, kind of going down a different path? I think bottom line really was just constant communication um, about everything that he was thinking about and wanting to try and wanting to do. And it felt kind of natural. Um, Craig and I were such a part of it because he was only 13 that we were constantly there. We had to take him to every rehearsal or gig. And it was all local. It was just mostly South Bend and had a a chance to play all of the clubs or bars, and, and even some of them were more like a concert style in Union Station, downtown South Bend. So Visions, uh, the rock band, became quite a thing in the area, but we were always there because he could never legally get in without his parents, and um, all the owners of the clubs knew, and, and me and Craig were constantly there. So I think just talking about... Um, maybe the negativity of hanging out at a bar or, mm -hmm. or the drinking. It wasn't about that. It was just the performance. It was always 
for Jake, it was about the job. It, it, so it wasn't didn't really become his lifestyle. He just was so excited to play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure, I'll go there. I'll do that. Um, so I guess it's um, just always being very close and always talking everything through. That's very cool. And that's that's exactly how I approach it with with my teenager, too. Um, you know, it's it's very interesting to raise a teenager, but that's how we are, too. You know, we're very open and, you know, we talk about everything. And I think that's why he's in a different space at almost 15 than a lot of his peers. You know, it's you're right. It's, it all comes down to, to communication and knowing you know, your kids knowing that they can talk to you about anything. You know, right, and the parents right. being open too. You know, the parents being open about about listening. So that's very cool. Yes, I agree. So when did you and Craig kind of like think that the talent that Jake had was more than you know just him doing something with a band like locally? Did you guys ever have like a moment where you're like, this is like something? <laughs> Well, certainly when, I mean, there was definitely the um, bucket list things that happened for him early, but to know that he had this special talent that was in him, it just, I honestly feel that he was born with it. So after realizing um, that he had a desire to do so many different things, we never said no. Um, You know, it started out, we bought him a a piano uh, when he was, probably about three and a half. He wanted to play drums and learn everything about that. So the lessons that he had along the way, um, even before kindergarten, I think he was taking piano. Um, So along the way, he had some very professional lessons and he had an interest in every instrument. So we tried to purchase them along the way. And so, because he said, okay, I got that. I played the guitar for a few months. I think I'd like to play the bass. So we got him a bass, and then he'd do that for a year, plus the keyboards. We had a little keyboard that he really learned, and so that's why we got the piano. And then when school started, um, even in elementary, he started the um, snare drum in the little band or in the in the concerts. And then saxophone came, and he wanted to try everything. So that's when we kind of knew that he had this ability that was just in him. Um, the first bands, it was great. That when he was 13, it, they played a few gigs. They even went into the studio. But then he realized, um, like, why don't I get my own band together? And that's when he created a high school band. They actually did a CD, um, you know, which is so cool because you had this um, recording of Jake ever since high school on some kind of a project. Um, and we have them all. You know, we have the history of everything here, and I love that. So that was great. Alibaba's Tahini got together. Um, they did maybe four, four or five CDs and had kind of a good run. But again, Jake was anxious. Let's make this a real thing. Let's make this full time. Let's hit the road. And not everybody could jump on board with that because, um, you know, we thought, we encouraged him, like, that's a great idea, you know. Um, so then that's when. Um, he was kind of dissolving Alibaba's Tahini, and about that summer, uh, when every uh, Brendan graduated, Joel graduated, um, Kevin Browning graduated, um, they were all still local here at Notre Dame. Um, they played a couple times together, but the guys graduated and said, we're heading to Chicago. 
Jake was still like, well, what am I going to do now? And then Brendan said, um, Jake, why don't you just join us? Come to Chicago, start practicing. Let's do this. And um, again, probably in my eye, I was thinking, oh, just another project. Because Jake had already had quite a few of them. Um, but nope, uh, they, it was nonstop from there, nonstop. They hit the road in the van and, and kind of, and now to today, it's, it's been pretty exciting. Yeah, it's, it's very, very cool to um, just kind of look back on their whole thing from, from then until now, how it's just morphed into this, this whole beautiful thing, you know, and it's, it's just yeah. so cool. Um, so, um, let's see. Oh, okay, I lost my spot. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, can you talk about some of the perks and challenges of tour life with family life for you? Like having him there, and you know what you think, what you think that's like. Well, I mean, I couldn't be prouder of his accomplishments, and. Um, um, just watching it to happen, um, that is so cool. Um, um, not only do I feel absolutely blessed, it's really cool. I mean, how often do you have a son that is um, so in the public and so recognized and now to the extent of anybody I talk to anywhere has heard of Humphreys McGee? Um, so it's, you know, I, I keep it personally low-key, you know, all the people I work with, it kind of trickles out that, you know, oh, my son's Jake Sinninger, and he is playing for Humphreys McGee, but I don't like just announce it. It just let it flow, and it happens. Um, so I treat it a little bit like that, but you can honestly not take the smile off my face when I'm talking about him and uh, the things that he's done. Uh, I couldn't be prouder. And when people come here, um, and they're kind of famous people, and I'm so nonchalant about it, and, and my door is always open to it. So I, I probably, um, I guess I could be different, but this is my style. Maybe mm -hmm. others in the family shout it from the rooftops and, and things like that. But um, it, it's different to have a famous son um, and know that he's out there every day in some form of being listened to or looked at, uh, YouTube videos, things like that. It's, and it's fun to watch his kids um, recognize some of that now, too, and are so proud that Daddy's so famous and he's with Humphreys McGee. And <laughs> That's so cute. That is so cute. And that leads me to my next um, question. Since so many people in the Humphreys camp are now parents, um, they've changed their touring schedule to, you know, be able to be at home more for their families. Um, how do you think that that's really helped Jake balance, you know, tour life and being a dad? It, it definitely, it's, it's a hard, hard life when you are both trying to be a professional mu touring musician as well as being a father to three mm -hmm. uh, children. And so it, it has taken a toll, let's say, but yet it, he has found a balance. And I think our entire family has found a balance. We know when we have to really help each other and, and when it's, it's like there's nothing else but like craziness. Um, three kids pretty close in age 
is is hard, but it's a tight knit family. And Kathy is, um, it's a, she has found a balance as well. And then when it's too much, there I am. I'm ready to help. Let me take them. Let's go do this. Let me get them out of the house. Come over for a sleepover. Um, I've, another thing that I think that has helped the kids and Jake is to be able to come here constantly. Jake comes to the studio every day that he's home and off the road, whether it's just to check in, bring the dogs, pick up the dogs, um, bring the kids to swim. It, there's a constant flow of Jake and the kids here, and I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it definitely helps because you have to know where they're at in school and help with the homework, um, get them up, you know, fed, teeth brushed and out the door. It's, it's a lot of work. So mm-hmm. um, I think Kathy's really glad that Jake is home for periods of time to help with that. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. My husband um, works a lot, too, but nothing to that extent. And when he is home, I have three kids. My oldest is, like I said, almost 15. So he's pretty self-sufficient. But, I mean, even with my other two, like, when my husband's home, it's such a blessing. <laughs> Just the extras that yeah. I hands is yeah. so, so amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, I totally understand. And it's so, so great that you are there. I mean, it's it's so amazing to have family to rely on. And I'm sure that's a big piece of why their family is able to be successful the way it is, is because of, of you and Craig. I think that's very awesome that you guys are all so very close. That's that's very awesome. Yes, yes. Thank you. Um, so how often do you go to Umphrey's shows? Well, I would say not half as much as I would love to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for a lot of reasons. Um, I was on a little bit different uh, work schedule and always had the weekends off. Jake lived in Chicago. It was easy to go, stay all night with them, um, go to a lot of the Chicago shows and certainly Michigan shows. It was always great when they started doing uh, Kalamazoo and then Grand Rapids and even up to Traverse City. Um, you know, that's that's a, a love. But uh, it's hard um, because now my schedule is working a lot of weekends um, because I have in the middle of the week off um, working at the at Notre Dame at the hotel. So we're open 24-7. So that's been a difference. And then also just with the kids, my time to help Kathy is the weekends. Um, and so I we tend to stay closer to home. Um, so when you have gone to shows, do you have a favorite venue? Um, we always seem to go to the Aragon. Um, not the sound was the greatest. Um, maybe it's just because it was the New Year's Eve runs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think smaller theaters, we've been to Atlanta, to the Tabernacle quite a few times, mm-hmm. and it's always, you know, you're kind of almost over the stage on the side where we sit and um, full view of the whole crowd below. I love to love to um, see just the be higher and watch the crowd from all angles. It's amazing energy that no one cannot uh, be involved in. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm so excited because we're going to, my husband and I are going to do the New Year's run at the Tabby, and it's the first time that we'll ever be at that venue. So I'm super oh, excited. Wow. And then you said oh, that, yeah. so I'm even more excited now. <laughs> oh, I we have probably been there uh, at least eight times. 
uh, because my sister lives in Atlanta. So it's always a destination and always a place to stay and bring more family with us. Uh, and two nephews, uh, Tyler and Alex and Morgan, all live there. And so they hit every Tabby show ever, even when we're not there. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, so backtrack a little bit. Um, if Jake was not playing music, which, as you said, he was pretty much born with this. So that's what he was going to do. Um, but if he wasn't in music, what do you think he'd be doing? Um, I'm not sure. Um, but I know he's got kind of the natural teacher in him um, to be able to have the patience um, and, you know, kind of the connection with anybody he is trying to teach. Um, so possibly that. Um, what I know that he would have ran from if he had to stay with it was the construction. He did the drywall finishing and the painting and a bit of construction. And he said, oh, I, I, I got to stop that. But his dad could easily teach him all of those things as a trade. And so he did attempt to do it, but he he wasn't liking that too much. So um, I think it probably would have been in some kind of media or music, whether he played on stage, I felt like music for him was a passion so early because he got so interested in listening to music when he was like one, two, and three, playing albums in the house. So even if he didn't play like he can today, I think it would be something to do with music. <laughs> Okay, um, I did want you to, um, again, I want you to tell the listeners the story that you told me about the reason why you requested the Stone Temple Pilots song at the Brendan and Jake show in 2017. Because <laughs> I okay. love that story and I wanted you to tell it again. So It is so funny because after it happened, a couple random people said to me, the next time they heard that song, they thought of me. <laughs> so that's kind of funny. Um, when Jake was in high school, he he was, I mean, everybody, again, like watched him perform and knew there was something special. And so uh, uh, everybody got to know him, and he was in the show choir. And at the end of the year, they allowed each student to do some solo act or something as part of the show. Um, uh, and so every, uh, he helped a girl play, he played acoustic guitar. She sang um, uh, a Stone song by Mick Jagger. So he kind of was up on stage doing that. And then he helped somebody else with something as backup. And then he had his chance. And I didn't even really know exactly what he was going to do. But we were in like maybe the fifth, sixth row back and all the parents of all the students were there and all the kids were um, there and great turnout for this end of the year program. And so he comes out and the stage is kind of dark and he sat in a chair and he had his acoustic guitar. He had nothing, no backup, no sound. And he did plush on vocals and just awesome. I mean, the vocals were awesome. And he growled it out and... Um, at the end of it, all the kids in the front row and everybody just was like, oh, my gosh. And they started their big lighters up in the air as if it was a real concert or something. And it was amazing. 
and so, you know, I've always remembered that. It was a very touching moment. Um, um, and then one day out in the studio, a few months ago, he was preparing for more of the solo show. So it was everything that um, him and Brendan could pull out of the hat kind of a thing. And um, so I said to him, I said, Jake, do that. Have you ever played that song? He goes, I have never played that song live since I did it in high school. And I was shocked. I said, you rocked that song. You know, you've got to do it again. Do it for me. And I, and I said to him, I said, Jake, I never ask you to do a song. I never say put in a request. And I go, but I'm going to ask you. <laughs> and he did it. And I thought that was so cool. That was one of those almost tears in my eyes. <laughs> it was so cool. And then he, they had done it as a full band. Um, right oh, I heard that. That's yeah. right. It was like right before um, when I came to like it was the little string of shows before summer camp and it I mean it was so okay. good as a full band too it was it was amazing it was so good good I think it was like the nineteenth if I remember because I just listened to it like yesterday it randomly popped up on my stuff and I'm like oh this is such a great song I just bet they'll do it a few more times into the future oh that would be really awesome that would be very yeah, very cool. Yeah. Um, so has there ever been a time um, when Jake was in the studio and you've come in there that you've, you know, sort of given your advice about a song that he was writing or that he's asked you, you know, like, oh, hey, mom, what do you think of this or something like that? Well, it, it does happen a lot, but most often it's more um, come in and listen and he'll kind of talk me through it like, um, oh, watch this part, you know, or he'll be like, okay, this is what I did here. Um, but other than just more casual talking about a project, I don't know that I've ever, like, he's never asked me because it just, you know, we just start chatting about it. And I'm, you know, I may have an opinion, but what I love is quite often I realize later when an album comes out or something like that, like, oh my gosh, I remember that song that started right here. Um, and once he's got it all recorded, I'm always in the yard and in the gardens and, and fiddling around. He would always open the windows and the door and just play stuff, you know, whether it's practicing on guitar, you know, the neighbors are very used to us kind of cranking out during the day and, 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 uh, and that's the kind of stuff that I, I love. And then he'll say, what'd you think of that? Or that's something new I'm working on. And to watch the process of something new, um, you hear just the, the music and then you finally hear some vocals on it. And um, it's a cool process. And all I have to do is live here <laughs> to be a part of it because it's, it's loud enough where no matter where I am on the property, I kind of like, oh, that's what they're doing today and, and listening. Um, so I love that part. That's very cool. Do you have a favorite Umphreys McGee song? Um, I do. And, and you're catching me on the spot because to <laughs> me, I love so many. But for me to know the name of them yeah. is going to be the difficult part. Craig is so good at it. And I'm like, you know, it's not so important that I remember all the names. But, um, of course, I love Glory. And mm -hmm. it's such a, a passionate song. And you can play it simply or you can play it full on. Um, so I, I guess that is one of them um, that I love. And um, I think 
oh god now if i do remember names i'll probably name a zillion of them but um i think umphreys is such a transcending let's say band for so many ages there's something there for everyone that can completely enjoy them and have big ears um, to listen because there's so much going on with the band and, um, you know, just everything that they do together as a band. Um, anybody can love them because because of the styles and things that they do constantly. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I say, too. Um, when I always introduce them to someone new, I try to find, you know, like if they're into a band, like there's people that my husband will work with. Um, there's one guy who's like really into Pink Floyd. So when we introduced Umphreys to him, we played, you know, Shine On You Crazy Diamond and he was blown away. And then now he's, you know, looking into other other of their music. And that's so great about it is that they're so eclectic that there is something for everybody. Right, right. Um, so can you tell us about your most interesting fan interaction? Um, I, um, a couple of them. I mean, the, the fans that I mostly hang out with, except for just meeting and greeting, are, is the families. Um, that's who we're closest to when we go to a show, um, whether it's backstage or, or in the VIP sitting um, so just the parents and um, the brothers and the sisters and the people so close to the band, we have felt as part of the band family from the beginning because how opened arms and, and how we gather together. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. Um, it's it's really um, nice to also meet the famous people that um, has played on stage with Humphreys. Um, uh, for different shows, and so that's always like a, a kind of a wow moment to meet lots of famous musicians that I've known for a long time. Um, that's always been pretty cool. I do have one particular show that um, I wasn't sure how it was going to go. It was rather funny in a way. Um, um, it was up in Michigan. It was in Interlochen, a small um, um, art, music and art, um, I don't even know if it's a college, but a small um, teaching school, let's say. I'm sure you've heard of Interlochen. Mm-hmm. So Umphrey was going to play there, and they came on their bus and their semi to set up. But the night before, in this small little venue that's mostly younger students attending there, um, it was Buddy Guy and Johnny Lang. And, and Buddy Guy, of course, has to have security, and, and he's getting older and a little bit more hard to get around up and down on stage. So they had lots of um, ushers and attendants that made sure nobody could even move forward. Everybody had to stay in their seat. It was very secure, and um, they walked people to the back, and they said, you have to stay in your seats. Nobody can stand up front. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, the security here is really tight. And my thought is, Humphreys is playing here the next night. So um, I stay all night with my sister-in-law, and um, we get ready to go to interlocking again. And um, I went to the the bus, and I said, you guys, I just need you to know I was here last night, and the security is so tight. I don't know how our fans are going to um, 
deal with this. You know, they want to go down front. They want to stand. They want to rock. It's an Umphrey show. And so they go, really? And I kind of like probably freaked them out a little bit. And so I was concerned. So we get there and everybody's filing in and in their seats and, and pretty much there's order in the house and um, all the ushers are there getting everybody to their assigned seats. And um, they're all in their polo shirts and their blue shorts and matching and all these students that are the ushers. So the minute that Humphreys got on stage, I wondered what was going to happen. And what happened was all the ushers and the workers pulled their polo shirts off, had Humphreys t-shirts under it and rocked it to the front. So everything was good and the show was good and they didn't pull out the security when Humphreys came to town. So I thought that was a very funny story because I honestly wasn't sure how it was going to turn out. Yeah, that is very, very cool. And I love, I love the part about the ushers. I think that part is the funniest. Yeah. (laughs) That's very cool. Um, I did want to ask you and I, skipped over this question before um because in our group we talk a lot about taking our kids to shows and stuff like that so when jake was younger did you and craig go to concerts and if you did did you guys take him with you um yes he probably went to a few things when he was maybe grade school to more civic auditorium um and that was maybe more performances then when I noticed this, um, you know, desire to listen to a really heavy rock um, when he was starting to be maybe sixth, seventh grade, eighth grade, um, I wanted to kind of steer him away from that image, that really, you know, long hair, heavy rock, acid rock kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, you like rock? Let's go to some Christian rock. And they were really good performances that came to town. And he remembers every one of them in, like, um, Russ Taff and Mylon Lefevre. We went to see Amy Grant a few times, Bob Bennett, um, and he really, really enjoyed it. So I wanted him to know that you can really play good rock, but it doesn't have to be this. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did that really early on. And then um, I think some of the first concerts might have been in um, – high school, and we did go to see Todd Rungren. Um, We went to see um, uh, Moody Blues and Chicago. Um, So a lot of the big names back then. I think he made a couple trips when he was kind of young with friends and and maybe saw Whitesnake or, or something. I'm not sure exactly. So, yeah, pretty early he was definitely watching performances. Um plays and, you know, things like that, but then some rock shows and um, some things when he started in high school. Which, and I'm sure um, being exposed to all of that different sort of stuff early on, you know, really kind of carried over into the Umphrey sound now, you know, being exposed to all those different kinds of rock and music and things like that, so... Good job, Mom and Dad. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, so um, I want to talk about Jim. He's, like, the coolest ever. I love him. He's such a great guy. Um, how do you think that his uh, friendship with Jake and being there um, has helped, you know, Jake produce really good music and 
you know, kind of inspired him and, and things like that? How do you think working to those two working together has done that? Well, it's definitely evolved over the years, uh, first probably as a friendship and then because of so much talking and um, uh, just talking about passions and, and instruments and finding that they were completely on the same wavelength that way. And um, and then Jimmy just started introducing and bringing um, um, awesome vintage equipment um, for Jake to get his hands on and then evolving into then the recording part of it. Um, so I think strategically they have talked through so much on the setup of Boondock Studios, um, and Jimmy just is able to give the time and effort and get it all set up and bring new things in, and then Jack, Jake gets to show up when he's off the road and, and experiment and, and um, use everything that um, um, they've brought into the studio. So I think because there's so many options um, to get different sounds and um, so many different string instruments in there and different types of keyboards and pianos and the drum kit that you can add to or take away from and the upright piano, um, just everything that Jake can sit down anywhere he wants, plug in a microphone and Jimmy's in the other room and say, hit record and so it's it's a great partnership that way i think jimmy just loves to listen to jake as well um so they spend a lot of hours out here whether it's experimenting or putting down something that's going to become on and umphrey's um album um so i think the passion in both of them is a great combination <laughs> um sometimes it's only for an hour but they get something done so, yeah, I think it's it's a great friendship and a great partnership. That's very cool. And do you think that with Jake being an only child, that that's really, you know, helped him form the, you know, the brotherly bond between, you know, the guys in the band and then obviously with Jimmy, too? Do you, do you think, like, him being an only child, that that's, that that's kind of helped? He's kind of, like, you know, extended his family almost. Yes, I think in some ways it's like it's amazing that he can, um, you know, when you're an only child, you kind of feel like you want a lot of solitude or you're used to that. And it's that doesn't happen for Jake at all, hardly. Maybe his travel um, sometimes might be alone. But so he has switched from being an only child where maybe things are focused on him to opening wide to so many brothers and friends. Um, but to have very close ones, um, that's that's exactly what is hard to do in life sometimes. But you do hang on to those few very close friends that are like a brother. And um, I know Jake needs that in his life. you got to have somebody to talk to and vent to. And um, um, it, it, it's great to have at least really good friends instead of a sibling. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, that is everything that I have. Is there anything that you wanted to share that I, I didn't cover? Um, no, I think really we've talked about how it all started, let's say, and um, just the, that he was born with this passion in him 
and it has been a wonderful life for all of us. Um, who knows where it's going from here? Um, I know that one day Jake will be off the road, um, but never, never will I ever see him stop doing what he's doing now in some form. Um, and, you know, I know that anybody could stop doing what they're doing and then have to find another job. Um, you know what I mean? And it's like I know that um, this is our life. Um, it has filled my life um, with wonderful memories and feelings and emotions and um, uh, I'm a pretty lucky mom (laughs) it sounds like it and I think I think that you I mean you're obviously very proud you can tell you know when I met you and you were talking about it and just the 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 pride in your your face you could tell and Craig was just the way he's just talking about his son it's just you can tell and you know, you guys did a, an awesome job because raising kids is not easy at all. So you guys, you guys did a very good job. Thank you. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you so much okay. for, for taking your time to meet with me and um, enjoy your day off and, you know, get through the weekend. I know it's going to be busy, but. <laughs> yep, yep. Go Irish. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Take care. All right. Thank you, Sarah. All right. Bye-bye.